Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14 and 21 through 29. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming for them. They were totally afraid. They cried out in terror to God. They told Moses, Weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? What have you done to us, taking us out of Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone here in Egypt? We're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness. Moses spoke to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today, for you're never going to see them again. God will fight the battle for you, and you, you keep your mouth shut. Then Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and God, with a terrific east wind all night long, made the sea go back. He made the sea dry ground, the sea water split. The Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters, a wall to the right and to the left. The Egyptians came after them in full pursuit, every horse and chariot and driver of Pharaoh racing into the middle of the sea. It was now the morning watch. God looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud on the Egyptian army and threw them into a panic. He clogged the wheels of their chariots. They were stuck in the mud. The Egyptians said, Run from Israel. God is fighting on their side and against Egypt. God said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters will come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots, over their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hands over the sea as the day broke, and the Egyptians were running. The sea returned to its place as before. God dumped the Egyptians into the middle of the sea. The waters returned, drowning the chariots and the riders of Pharaoh's army that had chased after the Israel's, after Israel into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites walked right through the middle of the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall to the right and to the left. God delivered Israel that day from the oppression of the Egyptians. And Israel looked at the Egyptian dead, washed up on the shore of the sea, and realized the tremendous power that God brought against the Egyptians. The people were in reverent awe before God and trusted in God and his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's go to God in prayer. God, we ask that you still within us all the voices that we bring with us, the voices of other people's opinions, the voices of our own opinions of us, the voices of whatever it is that we have going on in our life, and we ask that you still those voices. We ask that you open us up to what you have to say to us today, that in hearing we listen, and in listening we accept. I ask that the meditations of my mouth and the words of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God. Amen. Some weeks I look at the scripture and I say, I don't have anything to say about this. I've done it, like, every year at Easter, you sit down and you think, what a new thing is there to say about Easter, right? Or Christmas, what new, we've heard the Christmas story so many times, what new thing to say about Christmas, right? 
Today, I have the exact opposite experience. This is a story that I have too much to say about. And so, buckle up. It's 10.30, we got two, three hours, right? We're good? <laughs> this is one of the most important passages in scripture. If you know of any stories in the Bible, almost any stories in the Bible, this is probably one of the top two. It is the most important scripture for Jewish people who are in the Jewish tradition. It's an incredibly important story if you are of African-American descent or in worship in an African-American church who think of Harriet Tubman as the new Moses, who freed them from slavery. This is a story of incredible importance, and it almost feels like we're not going to give it enough weight. But <laughs> John gets hungry at 11 o'clock, and he tells me it's time to stop talking, so here we go. Um, no, it's just, it's hard. And somebody last week at youth said, so what are you going to do about this scripture? And I said, I don't know. And they said, don't you have problems with how mean God is in this scripture? Yeah, I do. I have problems with how mean God is in the scripture, because if I have a God, um, I have Buddy Christ God, you know, that one. <laughs> he's like, yay, go Liz. I picture a God who's got a cheerleading outfit on, you know. Maybe not, maybe it could be a male God, I guess. <laughs> Whatever, my God is cheering me on. My God is cheering you on. God offers lots of grace. And so what do we do with this God who drowns people in the sea? What do we do with a God who hardens people's hearts? Who doesn't give them the chance of redemption? What do we do with that? What do we do with this violence one of the things the church has done over time is decided to say, well, the violent God is the Old Testament God, and the love God is the New Testament God, and that gives us an excuse. But you know what it does is it tells people, like Jewish people, who only have the Hebrew scriptures, that their God is mean and our God is nice. Also, it doesn't help us deal with the passages in the Old Testament where God is very loving and forgiving and grace-filled. And it doesn't help us deal with the passages in the New Testament where Jesus calls Peter a brood of vipers or says that God will winnow. And so we have to deal with this God who is both violent and loving. We have to deal with this God who frees people by sending them into the desert, God. We have to deal with this God who sends them to a sea of water and they have to go, well, now what? So I have more questions than answers this morning. Why did God wait 400 years to free them from slavery? Did it just not get bad enough? Had they not complained loud enough, God? What is the issue? And so when I get to heaven, I will add these things to my list of questions that God will answer for me. And so I, I joke about writing my sermons on Saturday. <laughs> I don't, but I, I do joke about that. But this Saturday I did write a little bit of my sermon, and that's because I spent all weekend watching the hurricane. I don't know what you guys did. But I'm a little bit of a severe weather junkie, and in West Virginia where I grew up, severe weather is snow. Severe weather is like a foot of snow. Like the penguin would come on the TV. We called him Snowbird Penguin. And he would come on the TV at 6 a.m. and say, Children. You have a two-hour delay today because there was six inches of snow on the ground. 
And we'd all bundle up and go outside with our scarves, right? That was severe weather for me. And so anytime there's a hurricane warning, I freak out. A hurricane, <laughs> right? It's like when there's a tornado warning and my Ohio husband says, this isn't a tornado. There's not going to be a tornado. Everything's fine. And I'm like, basement. We need basement and tubs of water. Let's go, right? So everybody's tolerance level for risk is different. And a lot of it has to do with your experience and where you grew up. It's why when there's a prediction of one inch of snow, I'm like, all right, whatever. And <laughs> you guys all freak out, right? <laughs> Our experiences of risk are different depending on where we grew up. Our experience of water are different depending on where we grew up. And I've been thinking a lot about water because water is both good and bad. It is both good and bad. It is good. You know that scene in the Big Fat, my Big Fat Greek Wedding where the dad has the Windex bottle, right? And everything is solved by spraying it with Windex. Right, you have a rash and he sprays it with Windex. You have a headache, spray you with Windex, right? You have a broken heart, spray you with Windex, right? You know this scene? I'm like that with water. My children come to me and they say, my leg is hurt. And I say, have you drank enough water today? Mom, I have a really hard math test today. Did you drink enough water before your test? <laughs> have you had any water to drink today? Mom, I'm really, really um, tired. Did you drink some water? You'll have lots of energy. Water is good, we need water to live. And I love going to the beach and sitting on the water and watching the waves crash on the beach, right? It's so relaxing and calming until it turns bad. Because water is also incredibly destructive. When I went and did Hurricane Katrina relief, um, it was the Christmas after the hurricane, and so it had been four or five months, August to December, so whatever that is. And we went down, and I'll never forget talking to the locals who were there. And I had been obsessed about the wind, 115-mile-per-hour winds. That sounds so scary, so dangerous, right? And all they talked about was the 15 feet of water that swept through their houses. Because it turns out wind is something that you can guard against. You can make your houses of steel. You can put up shutters. You can do the things you need to do to protect against wind, but you are not stopping 15 feet of water. And so all of the destruction from the hurricane that we've been watching is because water swept through the places where it wasn't supposed to be. I think that's the hardest part for me about watching the hurricane coverage is the inevitability of the destruction. There's nothing we can do about it. I could go out and shout into the wind. I can go out and I can shout into the wind and people can hunker down and buy food and they can have generators and they can do all of those things, but you're not going to stop the hurricane from coming. And I guess when the Israelites were set free, when the Hebrew people were set free from Pharaoh, there was no option for God that didn't involve destroying the Egyptians who would have just kept coming. See, Pharaoh let them go in a fit of rage, a fit of despair. His son had just died because he didn't listen to Moses' instructions. 
And he was in a fit of despair and he said, all right, get out of here. Do whatever you need to do. Go, accept, you know, go, get out of my sight. And then he woke up in the next morning and did what all of us do, which is realize that we made a huge mistake. And so he sent his army after them and said, go get those people back. Who's going to build my pyramids? I have bricks that need to be made. Go get them. And he sent the army after them. And there was no way that these people were going to be free unless God completely destroyed the Egyptians. There are so many things in our lives that feel inevitable, feel unattainable and unavoidable. I watch the news every day, um, or read the news every day, I don't watch the news, but I read the news every day and everything feels so far out of my control. It feels like the world is on the edge of a nuclear disaster, and that is so far out of my control. It feels like we're just waiting on one person to make the right decision who's shown a pattern of not making the right decisions, and it feels out of my control. And it also feels a little bit inevitable. There is no solution to this crisis that is good. And I feel, I watch the news every day, and I see these stories of children in crushing poverty, and there's nothing I can do about it, and it feels so out of my control, like a hurricane that I can't avoid, like a sea that needs to be parted, like an army is chasing me into the water, and there's nothing I can do about it. We've all of us had experiences with people who have diagnoses that we can't do anything about that feel inevitable and unavoidable. Some of us, most of us, have either had or know someone who has mental illness that is crushing them, and there's nothing we can do about it. There are so many things that are unavoidable in our lives that we can't do anything about, and it is so tempting to try to do things to put them into our control. If I just post enough on Twitter, then I will convince Putin not to do the things he's doing. If I just eat all the right foods, then I can control my disease. If I just bunker down and don't let anybody know that I'm suffering from anxiety or depression or whatever it is that's the secret that I hold in my heart. But like hurricanes and seas that we can't avoid, they are there, and they are not in our control. And so sometimes the bravest thing that we can do is to admit that it's not in our control. Sometimes the bravest thing that we can do is acknowledge that as a human person in Statesville, North Carolina, or wherever we are, we don't have the control or the power to stop the hurricane, and we have to trust that God, even when God feels out of control. Even when we don't understand what God is doing, we have to trust that God knows. And when it doesn't make sense for us, for the Egyptians to be destroyed, we have to understand that God knows that the only way for the Hebrew people to be free was for the empire to be crushed. Sometimes the bravest thing that we can do is to take one step and put one toe into the water. There was a whole sea of people standing at the edge of the water that day, and God had delivered them from captivity, the one thing that they'd asked for, and everybody was standing there, and nobody would go into the water. 
So sometimes the only thing that we can do is to trust God enough to take a step off of the dry land and into the water. And yes, sometimes that will feel out of control and sometimes it will feel like it's too much for you and sometimes it's too scary for us to understand but that is the only way for us to be free one toe one footstep at a time I will never understand everything there is to know about God and I've got a list of questions that are pages long but I know this God parted the Red Sea because they took a step into the water. And God freed them from captivity because they couldn't do it themselves. So some days, all we can do is take a step, is to wake up and say, all right, God, what have you got for me today? And to believe. Believe.